You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We're going to unpack a little bit more of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, which is a book that we've been going through over these last uh, six or seven weeks now, maybe a few more weeks than that. Um, we've been going through this book that was a letter uh, from the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in Corinth that he had started. And this church was in a bit of a mess, as we've heard. It was in a, in a, in a, a sex-mad city. And uh, they, had, as a church, got themselves into some sticky situations. And over the last three weeks in particular, we've been looking at singleness and sex and marriage. And I would really urge you, if you haven't been here for some of those weeks then get hold of the, the audio uh, either by our website or on the iTunes podcast. I missed last Sunday, and so this week as I was travelling around, I listened to last week's message, which was on singleness. I was so deeply encouraged by it. I'm not a single man, but I found it so, so encouraging. And uh, the five people that Tim had invited to come up and speak, uh, so much wisdom from them. Yeah, it, was, it was brilliant. Um, so do get a hold of that. So we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 7 and verses 17 to 24 today. Um, But before we read those out together, I want to give a little bit of a whistle-stop tour of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is quite a tricky chapter. There's some some difficult um, uh, subjects covered in there, some things that might make our heads spin a little bit when uh, when we read them. So right at the beginning of chapter 7, Paul has been addressing married people and he's saying, if you're married, don't don't deprive your spouse of intimacy. Husbands and wives, be intimate together regularly. Don't, don't, uh, Don't deprive each other for a long period because otherwise there may be actually a trap that's set for you by the devil. He would try and tempt you in other directions. And then he goes on to talk about singleness and he actually says in this chapter that he wishes that there was more people like him. Paul was single. Um, We don't know whether he had been previously married or not. We don't know anything about that. But we know that he was single, at least at this time of writing this letter. And he's saying, I wish that there was more people like me. He's holding singleness up as a really, really good thing. Despite the fact that he's in a a sex-mad culture, just as ours is, he's saying singleness is a good thing. And he goes on later on in chapter 7 to talk about why it's good because he says actually I'm not, I'm not having to be concerned about um, a spouse or children. I can be wholeheartedly devoted to God in, uh, in my ministry and in my life. And then he comes on to talking about divorce. And a number of people have said, are we going to cover the subject of divorce? Um, and what's our policy on divorce? And people are asked these sort of questions sometimes. I don't think there'll be many people here at all who haven't in some way been affected by divorce. In fact, I'd say that it's probably maybe counting on one hand the amount of people here who haven't been affected in some way by divorce. Either personally, having um, gone through a divorce, many people in this church in that situation, or through family members, maybe parents, maybe uh, siblings, or or through friends that we know who have been through that. There will be very few people who haven't been touched by that. So I'm going to touch on that very briefly before we uh, move on to... Uh, talking about uh, looking at uh, verses 17 to 24. What Paul says in this passage is quite clear. He says divorce is never a good thing to be celebrated. I was uh, a social worker before I uh, moved to Ipswich and came to work uh, with Hope Church. And uh, 
On my first week as a social worker, I introduced myself to my team. I had not long been married. I was 22 at the time. And um, I introduced myself to my team. I said I was married, and they, they laughed. And, they, and one or two commented, oh, I bet it won't last. Um, they had been through situations where they'd married young and were now on their second marriage or third marriage in some cases. And everyone around the table had a story about how they'd been married before. There was, I think I was the only one who... Um, who, who had only been married once. But it was actually laughed about. It was kind of taken lightly. It, was, it, was, it wasn't seen as actually the sad thing that it is. Um, Paul does say here, don't pursue divorce. He does leave caveats that sometimes it's the very, very last resort. And we see a couple of reasons in Scripture for this. But he's saying here, don't, don't pursue it. It's not something to be celebrated. Now you might think, how on earth can we take our cue from a, a, a letter that was written 2,000 years ago. Surely things have moved on uh, loads since then. I don't believe they have. I don't believe they have at all. Um, whilst Paul wasn't married at this point, or maybe not married ever, he knew that marriages go through very difficult periods. He knew that marriages weren't rosy. They weren't uh, the picture-perfect things that you can see in Hollywood and, and these kinds of places. He knew that marriage took hard work. He was acutely aware of people in the church in Corinth who were going through really strained marriages. And he stresses in this chapter the need to work at marriage. As Tim and Esme did so well a couple of weeks back, um, sharing so honestly about how at the beginning of their, um, their marriage, they, they asked the question and on a number of occasions, have we made a mistake here? Have we made a mistake? Should we have ever got married in the first place? But God... Uh, he made it good. Divorce, Paul is saying, is not a good thing to be celebrated. It's sometimes the necessary thing, but it's always a last resort. So sometimes we get asked, do we have a policy on divorce? The answer is a big fat no. We don't have a policy on divorce because every situation is very, very different. If there's one thing that I'm learning in pastoral ministry is that policies aren't particularly helpful because everyone's situation is very, very different. And every situation needs really careful thought and prayer and difficult conversations sometimes, uh, often. But I can honestly say, hand on heart, that in this um, four and a half years that I've been uh, one of the leaders here at Hope Church, I have seen God do miracles in the way of marriage. I've seen him uh, rescue marriages that are right on the brink of completely failing and bring them into not just, just, not just healing, but fruitfulness. I've seen God do it. It often requires us to have faith and, and, and not to embrace the hopelessness that we can so often be bombarded with. That oh, I'll always be like this or they'll always be like this or our marriage will always be like this. We can't, we can't embrace hopelessness if we believe in a resurrected Messiah, can we? Can, can we say that things will never change in my life and at the same time believe that Jesus rose from the grave, that he walked out of the grave after being brutally murdered? No, we, in all things in our lives, we, don't, we can't ever say of ourselves, well, I'll never change. So, in a nutshell, Paul is, is highly valuing singleness. He's really honouring and highly valuing singleness. But he's also highly valuing marriage as well. But these things are not our ultimate identity. This is good news for us this morning. Because many of us here have been through uh, difficulty in marriage. The good news for you this morning is that that is not your identity. Your identity is not found in whether you're single or married. 
or divorced or widowed. It's, that's not your identity. If you know Jesus, your identity is in Christ. And nor, as Jade shared last week, is nor is singleness or marriage God's ultimate goal for us. She said, shared so helpfully, I came to realize that marriage isn't God's ultimate goal for me. Christ-likeness is God's ultimate goal for me. Becoming more like Jesus is God's ultimate goal for me. And so it's not like I'm, I'm having to go certain ways in order to be who God wants me to be. No, in Christ, he has made me right with God. I am finding my identity in Christ. So singleness is to be honoured, but marriage is to be honoured. And the writer to the Hebrews uh, says, marriage is to be honoured by all. And God hates divorce. He does. That doesn't mean that life is over if it's happened to you. I hope last week was a real encouragement to you, hearing from people who have been through that, who have experienced the healing from all of that pain, and who are living lives, serving God wholeheartedly, content in Christ. But divorce isn't to be celebrated. That's why you hear in a marriage ceremony that marriage isn't to be entered into lightly. You hear that when you go to a wedding, don't you? And the vicar says, marriage is a, is a sacred thing. It's not to be entered into lightly. Because it's a vow for life. And it's a vow that reflects Jesus' vow to the church, his bride. Jesus has committed to us and he will never leave us. I want to just show a video in just a moment that will help paint this for us a little bit because sometimes we talk about marriage and we think it's a piece of paper or it's something that um, you know, helps us get a bit of tax relief or something. You hear that bounded around sometimes. But actually, we need to see the biblical picture of what marriage is all about. So we're going to run the video now. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Symbols, shadows, parables. Sometimes this is about that. Flowers are about love. Signatures are about promises. Fireworks are about celebrations. Poppies are about war. And marriage is about the Christian gospel. This mystery is profound, says Paul, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the wedding begins with the groom waiting at the front. He has pursued his bride and won her, and now he just has to wait. And when she eventually comes in, the whole room stands and stares at her beauty, her immaculate dress, pure and white, and spotless. She gets presented to him and they declare that they have no other partners. They hold hands. They make promises to have and to hold for better, for worse, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. They exchange rings, signs of the covenant promises they have just made. They sign their names and make their vows legal. Then, as the ceremony concludes, they walk back out again, united one. Everything he has is hers and everything she has is his. Everybody celebrates with a meal. Later they will express their physical union and share all of their possessions. She even takes on his name. Two have become one and all this is about that. Jesus has made his people ready. His death for our sins has made us beautiful, pure, white 
and spotless. We are given to him and to nobody else. We make promises to each other. Never will I leave you or abandon you, says Jesus, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And we reply to him, I will forsake all other gods as long as we both shall live. There is an exchange of gifts. God gives us his spirit. There is a legal declaration. God says we are righteous in his sight. And we walk on, united as one. Everything he has, his love, his power, his goodness, becomes ours. And everything we have, our sin, our shame, our past, becomes his. Everybody celebrates with a meal, bread and wine. We express our physical union through baptism in water. We give him access to all our possessions. We even take on his name and his identity. We become Christians. Two have become one. This is about that. So I wanted to show that because when we've been speaking about these things in recent weeks, we can kind of get an idea of what we think marriage is about. But actually, what the Bible says is that marriage is about that. It's about the gospel. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And I want to, I want to just tenderly say to you right now, whatever your situation, whether you have been married or you are married or you've never married, or whatever your situation in life right now, what we've just watched in that video, if, you have, if you've embraced Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, those things are true of you. What you had to bring to the party, he took away. What he had to bring to the party, his righteousness, his love, his goodness, he's given to us. He has said he will never leave us or forsake us. He has said that we are one with him now. We're not our own, we belong to him. He is committed to us and we're going to be with him forever. We're going to, that, that is true of you if, you're, if you know Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour. That is true of you. That is your identity now. And we're going to come back to that in a little while. We are now in a, a, a union that is far greater than marriage. An eternal union. So, in light of that, how are we to live? Well, this is what Paul then unpacks in uh, verses 17 to 24. This is what he says. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant? That's another word for a slave. Were you a bondservant? When you are called, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each one was called, let him remain with God. It seems like Paul's digressing a little bit here from the talk of singleness and marriage and divorce, but he's not. 
actually we'll see that it's coherent. He's talking here to people, whatever their situation, you, uh, whatever your situation, whether you're in work or not in work, whether you're in this country uh, as a visitor or whether you've been here for all your life or whether you've, whatever your situation, this is relevant for you, Paul is saying. And he, he's, in essence, he's saying this, live contently for God in whatever situation he places you in. That is pleasing to him. In whatever situation you find yourself in, live in contentment with God. And that is pleasing to him. Now, he's grounding this in a discussion about circumcision and slavery. Now, I'm just going to put myself out there a little bit and bet for a minute that not many of you are worried about those things. Not many of you are, are experiencing slavery. And if you are, please talk to us. We want to help you. Um, but maybe many of you are concerned about modern day slavery and any attempts to, to bring that to an end. We, we praise and, and we want to get behind. But I don't think many of us here are wondering, shall I buy my freedom or not? I don't think many of us are laying awake at night thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't got circumcised or I wish I could be circumcised. I don't think that's really an issue for many of us here. But these were the issues that the people in Corinth were dealing with. The issues for us will be different. They'll be different in every culture. I expect many of us are here are thinking, I wish I was married, or I wish I wasn't married, or I wish I had children, or I wish I didn't have children, or I wish I had a new house, because in that new house, I'm going to find the contentment and the peace that I need. Or I wish I had a new job. In that new job, I, it's going to be perfect, and uh, in that new job, it's going to be so satisfying and it's going to be a great paycheck waiting for me at the end of each month. Many of us wrestle with this kind of restlessness in our own life. We feel like the big break is coming on the horizon. It's coming and when I have it, I will finally be content in him. How many of us have had these thoughts? If I, if I had that, then I would be happier. Then I'd really be able to be fruitful for Jesus. If I had that circumstance in life, then I'd, oh, I'd motor. I'd be, so, I'd be so effective for Jesus. I'd bring so many people into his family. If I had this and I had that. What Paul is saying here is, be anchored in Jesus right now. In your situation, be anchored in him. Let him change you right now. That's where he's placed you. Your calling is not to some exciting next big thing. Something big adventure. No, it's, your calling is to fellowship with him. That's what Paul says right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. He says, you are called to fellowship with Jesus. We get to live out that calling now. We don't delay and say, well, I'll do it when X, Y, Z happens. We live in a culture which really treasures the, the extraordinary and the adventurous, doesn't it? We think that everything has to be exciting all of the time. Contentment is only to be found in the spontaneous and the new I'm on Instagram, I like using it to make my average photos look okay. And uh, the hashtag adventure has been put on 72.4 million photos as of Friday. The hashtag wanderlust on 83.7 million photos. When you click on that hashtag, there are people staring into the mid-distance with huge mountains in the background, or the Taj Mahal, or the Californian coast. And the temptation is to think, they look so fulfilled. They're on this amazing adventure and it's spontaneous and they're just going wherever they want to go and they look so fulfilled. I wish my life was like that. And the reality is we've got no idea what their life is like. They just put a nice filter on an average photo. 
And it, and it looks fulfilling. It looks spontaneous. It, look, it looks adventurous. And we think, if only my life was like that. If only I didn't have the responsibilities I have so I could just go off and do adventurous things. The reality is, the essence of all advertisement, not just social media, is that our insecurities get exploited and we're encouraged to fear that somehow we're missing out on stuff. That somehow we're missing out on a better life. That if only we had that experience or that product, then we would be satisfied. That is the essence of all advertisement. If you have this product, then you will look as happy as these shiny, beautiful people on our advert. That's, that's the essence of all advertisements. And that's what's going on even with social media in some areas. Often we see right through it. Last week, um, it was in the news that an advert was banned. Um, it was being shown um, during episodes of Love Island. And it was an advert about plastic surgery. And uh, these women looking very happy and fulfilled that they'd had plastic surgery. And uh, I laughed at this because, uh, from what I can gather, pretty much all the contestants on Love Island have had serious plastic surgery going on. So the, the, the very program in which uh, people are watching uh, is actually it's sowing con- discontentment with the way we look and with the way our lives are presented. That is essentially what all advertising does. It makes us dissatisfied with what we have now. Sometimes we see right through it. Sometimes I watch um, TV programs with my kids that have adverts going on uh, during the, the breaks, and my kids look on in awe and wonder at these products that are being made to look far more exciting than they really are. I don't know if you remember, like, remote control car adverts. They're sort of going through forests and going over ramps and stuff, and you think, wow, this looks amazing. And then when you get it, it's actually on a string, so it can't really go very far anyway. And they're looking at these things. Dad, can we have one? Can we have one of those? And I have to resist the temptation to say, if you don't want to eat for the next two months, yes, you can have one. (laughs) Sometimes we see right through it. Sometimes it's so obvious and in our face, but sometimes it comes right under the radar and we we don't really see it coming. And we allow ourselves to have these sort of feelings of discontentment. We think, my life really sucks. If only it was different in this way. If only it was more like so-and-so's. Sometimes we can look upon other situations and think, if only my background was more like theirs. They grew up in a Christian home. I didn't have that privilege. Or they've got gifting that I, that I've got and, uh, that I haven't got, and I want to have that gifting. That kind, we, can, we can look upon other situations and we think, they look content. And what Paul is saying here is we can be content in Jesus. In walking with him, we can be content. We don't have to attain to certain standards of living in order to be fulfilled or to have certain experiences to be fulfilled. Paul is saying here, stay firmly where you are when God first called you and walk closely with Jesus. Be rooted in him in the place where God has you. Of course, there may be, when we come to Jesus, some things we have to put behind us. Well, there will be. Absolutely, there will be. And even sometimes professions. I mean, if some of the the, the prostitutes in Corinth, these thousands of prostitutes that were roaming the streets at night that we know about from history, if they came to know Jesus, they're going to have to put that profession behind them. Because that's one of probably a few professions that you can't really do and be a Christian. But there's not loads. But there's sometimes some things we have to put behind us and say, well, that's not who I am anymore. But actually, there's only a very few lines of work where that's the case. When we become Christians, we're not necessarily called to a new occupation, our old occupation just gets new significance. Our old occupation becomes our worship to him. All that we were in when we got called, it becomes our worship to him now. We walk in fellowship with him. him. We remain with him 
and we glorify him in whatever place we find ourselves. We're not constantly striving to find whatever is next. What's my next big adventure going to be? Thinking that that will be, that will be the place, that will be the situation in which I'll be content. That there will be the place where I'll truly glorify him. If only I had that, then I can live for him. No. What Paul is saying here is that perpetual restlessness, constant if onlying, it's not going to lead us to uh, glorify Jesus. It's not going to lead us to contentment and making much of Jesus. I think that's a problem for many of us here. I think that's a problem for many of us here. Do you recognize this in your own heart? Do you recognize in your own heart this longing for, if only I had then I would be content. What Paul is saying in this passage is that you are not required to be someone else or somewhere else to be effective in God's kingdom. Right now you can walk with Jesus and you can be fruitful and you can please God. I love the message paraphrase. It's very helpful. Sometimes it's not, uh, it's not always the, the best for kind of getting to grips with real accurate things of what the scriptures are saying, but it's so helpful sometimes rephrasing some things. In verse 17, the message paraphrase of the Bible says this, don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Sometimes it's right to seek marriage when you're single, but ultimately we don't seek it out of fear of missing out or needing fulfillment. Because ultimately, those kinds of expectations will crush the one that you might eventually marry. Because you're you're wanting to seek fulfillment in them. And they're not going to give it to you. Sometimes it's right to seek a new job. But we don't do it out of a motive of wanting to be somehow more content or more fulfilled. No, we can know contentment in Christ. That verse that we often quote of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of it is that, We can be content in all circumstances through Christ who strengthens me. I can know contentment in all circumstances because Jesus Christ is my strength. Sometimes it's right to seek a new job. Sometimes it's right to seek to get married. Sometimes it's right to seek to move to a new place. But we don't do so thinking, oh, the bright lights and the optimism of that new town is going to change me. Because you're just going to end up being the same person in a new place. And you're not going to be any more fulfilled unless you're finding your fulfillment in Jesus. God defines our life, not what we do or where we live or whether or not we're married. So we, 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 we can learn contentment as we, as we live out our lives in the light of our new identity in Christ. In our culture, we're encouraged to find our identity in what we do for a living, in our marital status, or in our desires. That's why people will identify as being orientated in a certain way. But When we come to know Jesus, that becomes our identity. Being in Christ is our identity, and that never changes. Any other way of finding our identity in what we do, in who we love, in where we're from, whatever it might be, those things can really, they're unsteady. Because our desires change, don't they? Our circumstances change, our jobs change. Those things are are really unsteady. When we come to looking for our identity in those things, but actually finding our identity in Christ, 
is the key. It's the only identity that is received and not achieved. So we, we can't lose it. It's received and not achieved. Someone's calling may change from single to married, but that will never change. What will never change is their identity in Christ as an adopted, loved son or daughter of God. That will never change. Our job situation may change, but what will never change is that God has treated us far better than we deserve. God loves us even as he loves Jesus. We're so often looking to others for our validation, aren't we? Looking for others to validate us with likes or follows or with whatever. A hello or an invite or whatever it might be in your circumstance. Someone to validate us. Well, when we're in Christ, the ultimate validator is God. It's not you. It's not someone else. It's not anyone else who would say that you have to have this or that. Tim Keller, Tim Keller says this, The only eyes in the universe whose opinion counts sees you in Christ and sees you therefore as more precious than all the jewels in all the earth. So we live in the light of that new identity. We don't, we don't strive for contentment or validation elsewhere. We live in the light of that. And we live in the light of eternity. That's what Paul was saying in verse 31. He says, he says this, The present form of this world is passing away. We are nearer now to that time when Jesus will return than we were when you walked in this place earlier on. We're nearer now than we've ever been. And we have to orientate our lives and our souls around that truth that Jesus is going to return. This, pre- this world in its present form is going to pass away. He's drawing people's hearts to that reality out of their present circumstances. Can I do that this morning? Can I urge you to look up from your present circumstances and look to the reality of eternity with Jesus? Eternity with him. The, the, the wedding supper of the Lamb that we read about in the scriptures where Jesus and the bride are going to be brought together. And it's going to be an almighty party. We think that we partied the other week as we gave here and we jumped around a bit. <laughs> that's not even going to begin to compare to the reality of the party that's coming our way. We get to be with him forever. That's the greater reality that Paul is causing them to look towards. Don't look to accumulate stuff. Don't be... Don't be forever uh, wondering, if only I had this, or if only I had that experience, or this circumstance. No, we, we live in the light of our new identity now. I can, I can know Jesus. I had fellowship with him. He gives, he's able to uh, satisfy my soul. We live in the light of eternity. In fact, that all that this life can offer is nothing in comparison to knowing God. Friends, he is so good. Jesus is really good. And he is so much better than we even begin to contemplate. He's so much greater. And he satisfies. We sang earlier, only you can satisfy my soul. Only Jesus can satisfy our souls. Not any other thing or relationship or experience. Nothing else satisfies. We'll be forever striving, forever seeking out new experiences until our souls find rest in Jesus. And we walk with him and we know on this ongoing contentment in him. I'd love to pray for us. And then we're just going to worship Jesus together. Lord Jesus, we love you and we worship you. And we find our identity ultimately in you. We're so grateful that you laid down your life for us. You rose on high. And now you say, what is 
what is yours is now ours, Lord. And you've taken away our sin and our shame, Lord. We are so good, Lord. You're so good to us. How, Lord, we forget that you alone satisfy. How often we forget. How often we get distracted by other things. How often we think something else is really going to satisfy. When only you satisfy, Lord. Lord, help us to remember. Help us to walk in fellowship with you. Help us to, help us to see that you're calling us to contentment now. Not when circumstances seem better, but now. Lord Jesus, we say you are wonderful. Beautiful one. So much greater than any beauty in this world. So much greater than any of your beautiful creation. Lord, it only just is a, it's a, it's a small reflection of how beautiful you are. Lord, your amazing creation, all the good things that you give us. You're so much greater than them, Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.